is called the Maha Rahulavada Sutta. This is the greater discourse of advice to Rahula. And the sutta that we just discussed was spoken to Venerable Rahula when when he was only a novice, a newly ordained novice of seven years of age. Now this sutta number 62, though it follows immediately in the Majjhima but it actually takes place perhaps about 13 or 14 years later after Rahula has been received his Upasampada, his full ordination. And now he's a young man of 20, 21 years of age. And when the Buddha is staying at Savati, then he sees that the time has come give Rahula some additional instruction in order to lead him further in his development. And it said that the occasion, that there was a special event which gave rise to this discourse. The discourse, when the discourse opens, the Buddha dresses and takes his bowl and robe and goes into Savati for alms. And the Venerable Rahula also gets dressed and takes his bowl and follows and goes into Savati for alms right behind the Buddha. And it's explained in the commentary that, that while Rahula was walking behind the Buddha. He saw the Buddha ahead of him and he thought that his that the Buddha was his father and that his father looked very noble and regal and handsome and that he himself as a young man was also very regal and noble in his bearing and very handsome. And he, he thought that this was just as though the Buddha were a lion, a king lion, and he were a lion cub, or as if the Buddha were a swan, and he were a young swan. And so in this way he became very proud of his physical form and of his noble heritage from the Buddha, being in the line of the a Sakyan aristocracy. And the Buddha walking ahead was able to tune in to Rahula's thoughts and realize that his thoughts were being governed by wrong view about the body and by mana, by conceit, and by attachment to the physical form. And therefore the Buddha stopped and turned back and gave instruction to Rahula in a way intended to undercut these deluded thoughts. 
And since the Venerable Rahula's thoughts were based upon the physical form, upon the body, the Buddha says, Rahula, any material form, whatever, whether past, future, or present, internal or external, that is one's own or belonging to others, whether gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, all material forms should be seen as it really is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. And thus the Buddha here has given Rahula just in this very condensed form the basic meditation on anatta, on non-self. But the Buddha has directed it only to the first of the five aggregates, to physical form. But Venerable Rahula was quite intelligent and so he asked, should this contemplation be applied only to material form, only to the body? And the Buddha says, one should apply it to material form, to feeling, to perception, to the mental formation, and to consciousness. That is, to all five aggregates. Now this little formula that the Buddha that the Buddha ex- teaches Rahula is actually a very, very profound and powerful say meditative theme which is designed to root out all of the deluded thoughts which are born from born from craving, conceit, and wrong views. Now these three psychological factors are called, in the Pali commentaries, they're called the three, the triple papancha. We say that they are the elaborators, or the, say, the springs of conceptualization. the springs of deluded conceptualization. And each one gives rise to its own particular type of deluded egotistical thought. First, the most basic or primitive of the three is craving, tanha. And it's because of craving that one develops attachment to the five aggregates and one thinks this is mine the body is mine the feelings are mine perception is mine the mental formations are mine consciousness is mine so this clinging or holding to the five aggregates that arises from craving and this 
through this clinging or attachment these five aggregates are interpreted as mine, what I possess, my possession. And so the contemplation, this is not mine, netam mama, is the specific antidote or medicine against craving and against the deluded thoughts that arise from craving. But then one thinks not only mine, mine, but we also think this is what I am. I am the body. I am the feeling. And then on the basis of the thought I am, then we can we compare ourselves with others and we think I am better, I am worse, I am just as good as he is. But these are the different forms of mana or conceit. And so the antidote or remedy for conceit is to contemplate Nay so hamasmi. I am not this. This I am not. And then in the third place, one is all, always trying to figure out what is the true self? What is my real self? And particularly in Indian religion, one has all sorts of speculative theories about the Atman, the true self, the true eternal soul. And the different philosophical schools come up with different theories and explanations about the nature of the Atman, the true self. But in the Buddhist system, all such, all such doctrines of self are regarded as delusions or misconceptions. And so the Buddha's path to liberation is through the realization of anatta, egolessness or non-self. And so to counter all of these speculative views about self, the Buddha teaches the contemplation neso meyata that this is not myself that is the specific antidote for wrong view and so in this little three term formula the Buddha has given Rahula a very profound and penetrating discourse on the contemplation of anatta, contemplation of egoism. And now when Venerable Rahula had received this instruction from the Buddha on his way to the on alms round, he thought to himself that now I have received this personal instruction from the Master, 
So why should I waste my time going into the village and collecting alms and then spending the day eating, <laughs> having to lose time eating my meal, then having to spend more time shaking off the tiredness following the meal. Now the impact of the Buddha's words must have just been extremely powerful and hit him right at the heart of his deluded and conceited thinking. And so Rahula considered, instead of going into the village for alms, here is a very nice tree with a comfortable shady base. Let me just sit down at the root of this tree, sit across my leg, and meditate in accordance with the Buddha's instruction. And so the Buddha must have continued on with his alms round and Rahula was sitting there at the foot of the tree and then the Venerable Sariputta came walking by. And our Venerable Sariputta was Rahula's actual preceptor or Upajaya. <laughs> and so when Sariputta saw Rahula sitting there, then he thought that Rahula must have just been starting to practice meditation. And since Rahula was sitting so nicely in the cross-legged position, Rahula, uh, Venerable Sariputta thought that this was the perfect posture for the practice of mindfulness of breathing, anapanasati. And so Sariputta said to him, he called out to him, Rahula, develop mindfulness of breathing. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it is of great fruit and great benefit. And so I think this <laughs> word of advice from Sariputta must have put Rahula into a little bit of a conflict. From the one hand he got instruction from the Blessed One himself in a vipassana meditation subject, the contemplation of selflessness or anatta. And now Sariputta came along and gave him some instruction in anapanasati. And so he must have been thinking for some time, which should I practice, anatta, contemplation of anatta or anapanasati. But I guess since he would give greater weight to the word of the Buddha even than to the word of uh, Sariputta. So he must have continued with the practice of contemplation of Ananda. But he was still puzzled by Sariputta's statement on how mindfulness of breathing is of great fruit and great benefit. So in the evening He approached the Buddha, paid homage to him, and sat down to and asked him, How, Venerable Sir, is mindfulness of breathing to be developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit? But now the Buddha must have realized that in the morning he had given to Rahula a very, very concise 
instruction on the contemplation of anatta. Not detailed enough for Rahula to be able to practice successfully. So the Buddha, rather than answering Rahula's question directly and immediately by explaining how to develop anapanasati, <coughs> the Buddha turns back to the instruction on anatta and starts to give a more detailed explanation of how to practice this contemplation of egolessness. And since in the morning the Buddha had begun by giving the instruction based on the Rupa Kanda, on the aggregate of material form, now he continues that same theme by picking up the aggregate of material form and showing in a more detailed way how the body or form should be investigated in order to understand its anatta or egoless nature. Okay, so what is material form? What is the rupa khanda? What is it? Speak loudly. Well, that's just reciting the formula. What is the Rupa, the Rupa Kanda? That's too general. What does the physical body consist of if we look at it with understanding, with analytical understanding? Excuse me? Because the body consists of Nama and Rupa, the physical body. Does the body consist... First, let's answer that question. Does the body consist of Nama and Rupa? Rupa. Okay, so the body consists only of Rupa. What is Rupa? Okay, I've heard it. Say again. Consolidation of the four elements. Okay, so now what are the four elements? In English, because I don't want people to repeat English formulas. Well, let's hear and sort of the Buddha, the Buddha uses common sense language, ordinary language. Earth, water, Let's have it in the correct, the, the usual sequence. Earth element, water element, then what? Fire element or heat element, and the air element or the wind element. <coughs> and then, in addition to the four elements, is there anything else in Rupa? What? Ah, oh, that's good. Okay, good. <laughs> 
okay, there's space. Okay, so now the Buddha is going to expose to Rahula the nature of the body by taking the four elements and showing how this physical body that we are so proud of and that we attach ourselves to so tightly, how this body consists only of these four elements and space. Okay. First, he takes the earth element. And the earth element may be internal or external. That's the, that's the earth element pertaining to the body and the earth element which is outside not part of any physical body. And so now the Buddha says he's going to show the constituents or components that make up the earth element in the body. Whatever there is internally, ajatta, belonging to oneself, pachatta, that is solid, solidified and clung to then he mentions some um, 12, 14. Some 12 or 14 components of the earth element in the body. The head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin. Those five, that is what one sees whenever one looks at any any other person or when one looks at oneself in the mirror the only thing that one sees are these five physical components of the body one sees head hairs body hairs nails if the person smiles one sees teeth and skin then if one uses a scalpel and cuts through the skin and opens it up and looks inside then one finds mangza that's flesh or the muscle different to art <laughs> excuse me? yeah but the same poly word is used for both of them and I don't think in ancient India that there was any distinction made between the nerves or the sinews <laughs> Okay, then there's bones and bone marrow. Then there come the various organs, the kidneys, heart, liver. The next one I think it's really what is called the pleura. Those are like membranous tissues that cover the organs. It's more the pleura than the diaphragm. Then the spleen, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, the stomach or contents of the stomach, udarya, then the feces, or whatever else is internal, belonging to oneself, solid, solidified, and clung to. Some of the later texts have the brain, matalunga. 
Okay, so this is called the internal earth element. Actually, according to the <coughs> Abhidhamic way of explanation, in any physical entity, one always finds the four elements combined together. That is, even in something apparently inorganic and solid, like say this plastic, the solid component is the earth element. But then there is the binding force which causes the particles to go here. That is the apudatu, the liquid element. Then there's some component of heat, which is the heat element, and there's some kind of motion or oscillation or vibration taking place. That is the wind element or the air element. And so too in the case of these bodily components, even something like the bone. In the bone, the solid part is the earth element. The say the liquid or what causes the coherence of the particles is the liquid, liquid element. The degree of heat in the bone is the heat element. And you could say the atomic oscillation perhaps is the air element. Or molecular oscillation is the air element. And so too in all of the other components. Strictly speaking, they're all composites of the four great elements. But because in these parts of the body the earth element is prominent, therefore we call them the solid parts of the body. And conventionally they're included within the earth element. And so now the Buddha, after enumerating all of these components of the earth element in the body, now he shows the way to see the selfless nature of the body. We take both the internal earth element and the external earth element. For example, we take the, take the cement of the sidewalk, the soil of the ground, the plaster of the walls, the wood of the floors, the wood of the table, the metal of the microphone, and if we examine them in terms of this characteristic of hardness, this characteristic of hardness or solidity, what do we find? But they are all identical in simply being the earth element. And yet, we don't say about the ground, the soil on the ground, this is mine, <laughs> this I am, this is myself. We don't become proud if we have a beautiful garden thinking that's my, my body. Or we don't become attached if somebody bangs the wall, we don't become attached and say, you shouldn't hit that wall, that's mine. <laughs> because it appears to be external to us. But if we examine it wisely, we see that the wall, the ground, the table, is just earth elements, solid matter, 
just like this body. And so if we view the body with wisdom, then we can see, we can look at it as being just as external to us as the ground or the wall or the table. It's just simply earth element. And then the Buddha says, this should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees it thus as it actually is with proper wisdom, then one becomes dispassionate towards the earth element and one makes lust or the attachment for the earth element fade away from one's mind. That is, one sees first with insight the earth element of the body as it truly is, yatabhuta. And then by seeing the earth element as it truly is, then there, become, there comes this, this passion or disenchantment with the body. That is, one doesn't identify with it anymore. And because of that, one becomes dispassionate or detached from the internal earth element of the body. Okay, maybe at this point, then I will stop. And if there's any questions about anything covered so far, then please go ahead and ask. I've thought of the question. I don't know how to answer it. I mean, I've thought of that, but I don't know how to answer it. Maybe we could say that that a sort of dramatic situation has been established just for the purpose of uh, presenting the sutta. Yeah, that is so, exactly so. In fact, in Pali also there are the expressions ahankara and mamankara. You say eye-making and mind-making. So mind-making is the work of tanha, because when one has tanha, then one is thinking, that's mine, mage, mage. <laughs> and uh, ahankara is the work of mana. I'm thinking, I am this, I am that. Yeah. 
I think the commentary, I think, explains that the Buddha is going to explain Anapanasati at the end of the sutta, but in order for the Buddha's explanation to be really beneficial and profitable for Rahula, he has to go through and explain in detail the meditation subject which he taught first. Okay, I think we will stop now and then continue next week.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.